Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. And so to start off this series and to start off this message, I'm going to do things, I'm going to do a little bit of a different introduction than what I normally do. Typically, I'll open up with a, with a story or a, or a concept or a question, but there's a lot of tension when it comes to the topic of the Holy Spirit within churches. And there's maybe even some confusion as well based off of different upbringings and backgrounds. And because we're a new church, there are a lot of different backgrounds and upbringings that have come into this church. And so what I want to do I'm not going to cover everything here, but I want to give us a foundation that we're going to be working on for this series. And so I'm going to start off with what I'm going to call a three-minute theology of the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to zoom through some things in three minutes, and this is going to be a foundation that we work on. Now, for those of you who are like, you're all about the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to cover everything in this three minutes. That's what the purpose of this series is, is to cover more. But this is a foundation for us to work on as we move forward. So I'm going to talk a little bit faster here than even normal, most likely, even though I normally talk really, really fast. And it's going to be, this is our foundation as we move forward, a three-minute theology of the Holy Spirit. Are you guys ready? You ready for this? Okay. Three-minute theology. John 16, 7, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is talking to his closest followers. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. I, 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 I bet they weren't thinking that at the moment. They were probably thinking, Jesus, you're our leader. You're the one we're following. And if you go away, we don't know what's going to happen. We cannot possibly see or comprehend or understand how it could be to our advantage that you would leave us, Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. But he said, hey, if I go away, I will send the helper to you. That word for helper in the Greek, parakletos, it means guide, comforter. It means counselor. And that helper that he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. And he says, it is to your advantage that I send the helper to you, that I send this guide to you, that I send this counselor to you, that I send this comforter to you, the Holy Spirit. He's saying, it's to your advantage that I send him to you. Now, they would eventually see that, yes, the work of the Holy Spirit was to their advantage, but if they'd even looked back in the story of God and what God was communicating all throughout uh, to his people, they, they would have began to know that this helper, the Holy Spirit, it truly was to their advantage that they could know him and live life with him because with the Holy Spirit comes unique power. Because the Holy Spirit was actually present with God the Father in the act of creation, Through the power of the Spirit, God brought forth creation. Look at this in Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. So the power and the movement of the Spirit was at work within the very act of creation. The word for spirit here in the Hebrew is ruah. It means energy, breath, wind. So the energy of God, the power of God, the wind of God, the breath of God that was at work within creation is now at work within his church. But the spirit of God is so much more than just the energy of God or the breath of God while he is that. The Holy Spirit is God himself. And the early church understood this to be the case. In Acts chapter 5, they're dealing with some deceitful people. And Peter says this to them, Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? 
While it remained unsold, did it remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So this is where we see the church in the very beginning equating, hey, you've, you've deceived the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. So the Holy Spirit is the comforter, the guide, the counselor, the energy of God, the breath of God. But the Holy Spirit is God himself. He's not just an attribute of God. He is God. And then when we read through the book of Acts, we see that Jesus ascends into heaven and the Holy Spirit is sent in Acts chapter 2. It falls on the church and we see the church moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and what we actually come to learn from the writings of Paul is that the Holy Spirit lives with inside of us. God himself lives within those who are followers of Christ, as Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells within you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. We as the church, as people who follow Christ, we are a temple of God. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're a temple of of the one who is the great counselor, the guide, the breath of God, the energy of God, the power of God, the wind, the movement of God. God himself lives within his church. So that's what Jesus was getting to you, getting to when he said, it's to your advantage that I send him for you. So there it is. I went a little over three minutes there. I went almost four minutes. That's a four-minute theology and base understanding of the Holy Spirit. He is God himself, and he lives within his church. And so we have to work together to say, who is the Holy Spirit if he is living inside of us? Because it, oftentimes in church circles, we can come together on who God the Father is. We can really come together on who Jesus is. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, as I said, tensions start to rise. In fact, there could be some people either in person or online today, depending on what I say about the Holy Spirit throughout this series, you might say, oh, that's not the church for me. I don't know if I can go there anymore. People get really tense when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And there are a lot of different camps and and tribes and groups and denominations that have even separated throughout history based off of beliefs surrounding the Holy Spirit. But if the Spirit is God, which he is, God does not desire for us to be divided. He desires for us to be united. So even if we have differing views, we need to learn what it means to love one another in those things and not be divided, but to be united. And to not use this as a point of we're right and you're wrong, but to use this as a point of, hey, I might see that a little bit differently than you, but the Holy Spirit is actually meant to bring us together. You know, because thankfully, I I had the opportunity to be exposed to, I'll just refer to them as tribes growing up, many different tribes within the Christian community. And and there are some tribes where the only time you ever really hear about the Holy Spirit is at the end of a sermon, And it's typically at the end of a really intense sermon. It's about hell and sin and how horrible you are and how you could end up in hell one day. And if you don't pray this prayer, you're going to, and it's like, it's like, you're just, oh my gosh, I'm really afraid right now. You're like really nervous. And then the speaker will say, all of that that you're feeling right now, that's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. And you're like, oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit makes me feel horrible. And I better just, I better just do whatever I need to do so that I don't have to experience all this destruction they were talking about. And typically in this tribe, that's the only time you would ever hear about the Holy Spirit was when you felt really bad or scared or nervous. Oh, and then they would later bring up the Holy Spirit when they were talking poorly about those crazy Pentecostals. That's what this tribe would do. Oh, those, those people, they, they're just a little crazy. They're just a little bit out there. Um, 
I remember because I was, I was in one of these tribes for a while. And about 10 years ago, the, the Christian uh, singer, some of you might remember him, his name was Carmen. And uh, he was in the later part of his career and he was coming to Buffalo. And I grew up with Carmen and uh, he had these crazy songs. Like he had this one song where uh, it was like this Western theme where he's doing this Western shootout against Satan. And uh, he had this gun. He's like, Satan, you're next in line. I'm going to hit you where it hurts because I'm tired of you and my family and I'm tired of you and my church. It's like, yeah, Carmen, let's do this. He, uh, he had another song called Addicted to Jesus. He was just, he was, but I was in this tribe. I was like, Carmen, he's coming. I, I watch him all the time as a kid. He's coming to Buffalo. I'm going to go see him. It's like 10 years ago. And one of my friends in the group said, you're not going to go see Carmen. He's a charismatic freak. So the people in this group, they will get really defensive about the Holy Spirit and he can only do certain things and we have to, and not everybody in this group is like that way. Some people, st- but here, here's what I would say. If you're in this group that really doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit all that often, or you're always trying to constrain the Holy Spirit and say, he can do this, he can't do that, he can do this, he can't do that, I, I, would, I would ask this question. I would ask you to ask yourself this question if this is the tribe you found yourself in. Ask yourself, have I been resisting the Holy Spirit? Ask yourself, Holy Spirit, have I been resisting you? That's just, because that's one tribe. Now, there are other tribes as well. <laughs> and there, there are other tribes where everything all the time is about the Holy Spirit. It's just Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. And it's like, do you guys also know that Jesus came and died for your sins and resurrected and that the Holy Spirit actually points us to Jesus? But everything's just Holy Spirit all the time. But each member of the Trinity is not meant to take attention off the other. They're actually meant to point to one another. But there are people in this group that if you came to New Story one Sunday in this tribe and somebody, somebody just took off in the middle of service and started screaming at the top of their lungs and swinging their shirt in the air, you'd be like, yes, New Story's got it. They're finally full of the Holy Spirit. And if you're part of that first tribe, you're thinking, I am never coming back to this church. You know, and, and, but if these people are all about the Holy Spirit and the Spirit, oh yes, he's, he's this, he's that. And here, here's what happens in the extreme versions of this group though. Over the past year, through random circumstances, I found myself in conversations with people who told me that they no longer attend a church because churches no longer have the Holy Spirit. And then they go on to criticize every single church they've ever been to and explain to me why they no longer go to church. And I would say to that tribe then, if that's where you're at or that's where you've been wrestling, I don't know, I just don't see enough spirit movement. I, I can't be a part of a church because there's not enough of the Holy Spirit. I would just say this. The scriptures are very clear on what the fruit of the Spirit is and none of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit are isolation or being a critic. And so if you think that you're so full of the Holy Spirit that your role is to draw away from the body of Christ and just criticize the body of Christ, you might have a spirit within you, but it's certainly not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit never calls us to isolation. The Holy Spirit doesn't call us to be critics, but he actually asks us to be contributors. So if you're in this group, I would just ask, have you maybe gained a self-righteous view of the Holy Spirit if you've gone to extreme on this end? And this, on this other end, if you've gone to extreme, ask, have I been resisting the Holy Spirit? If you've gone to extreme on this end, I would ask, have you gained a self-righteous view of the Holy Spirit? And then there are some of you, you're new to this whole church thing, you're new to faith, and you've been listening to me talk for the past 12 minutes, and you're thinking, uh, you know what, I'm kind of okay with this whole following Jesus thing, but you guys believe there's a spirit that lives within people? This just sounds a little strange right now. You know, I'm all for Jesus, I'm all good with that, but this whole thing of like, a, this is just a little weird. And I, I understand that if you're new to this whole thing. It sounds, it sounds a little, we believe, yeah, yeah, we believe that. 
We believe that the Spirit of God lives within us. But here's the thing, whether you're in, in this tribe or that tribe or whatever tribe or whatever background, I would say that every single one of us is here this morning or watching online, most likely because you at least have some type of interest in Jesus. Some of you are all in for following Jesus. Some of you are still like searching and wondering. But every single person here has at least some type of interest in following Jesus or who Jesus is. And since we can all come together on that common ground, whether you're new to church or been in church forever, here, here's what I just want to point out today. I'm just going to spend our next few moments talking about this. Jesus lived a spirit-filled life. Jesus lived a spirit-filled life. So we all come together in Christ and we look to Christ as the author and perfecter of our faith and as the example that we follow and the Lord that we give our lives to. When we look at the life and ministry of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus lived a spirit-filled life. In fact, New Testament scholar Scott McKnight describes it this way. He said, what often has been overlooked needs to be made clear. Every major facet of the life of Jesus is a spirit event. So much so that we need to see the more Christ-like we become, the more spiritual we become. Again, the closer our spirituality gets to Jesus, the more dependent on and empowered by the Spirit we will be. That's a powerful statement to think about. That the closer we get to Jesus, the more, spirit, the more spiritual we actually become, the more spirit-filled we become. But we could actually spend this entire series talking about how Jesus lived full of the Spirit. But today, I just want to highlight three different ways that Jesus lived full of the Spirit. As we talk about the Spirit within, the Spirit that lives within us, how can we become a church that listens closely to the Holy Spirit? And what does it look like when He's at work within our lives? Well, the first thing is this, is the Spirit leads. The Spirit leads. This is one of those ones that can get a little bit weird sometimes too, because there are some people who love to tell you about what the Spirit led them to tell you. Like all the time, the Spirit told me to tell you this. And sometimes that's with a really good heart. Like God has given them a word to share with you and it's to come and encourage you. But some people, they just like to tell other people what to do. So the Spirit led them to tell you what to do. I, I have these friends, uh, I'll call them Dave and Pamela because I didn't get uh, their permission to share this story. But uh, it, it, was, it was really funny. He told me that years ago, back when we had answering machines, anybody remember answering machines? He came home from a date with his wife and Dave and Pamela, they came home and they had a voice message on their answering machine that said, David, 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 the Holy Spirit led me to call you. He told me to call you. And Pamela responded and said, well, why didn't the Holy Spirit tell him that you weren't at home? You know, it's, it, 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 you know, because it, like, sometimes what does it look like for the Holy Spirit to lead? What does this actually mean? Well, we see in the life of Jesus that Jesus was led, in fact, by the Spirit. Luke makes this very clear for us in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit. What was he done? He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. So this is the moment where Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. That's where the Spirit led him? It doesn't say, that, oh, the Spirit led Jesus to a beautiful mansion where he had a luxurious life and everything was good and perfect. No, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. The Spirit led Jesus to a beautiful sauna. No, no. 
I love the way Matthew records the story. Matthew 4.1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What? That's what the Spirit led Jesus to do? The, the, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Why, why, am I, why am I harping on this so much? One of the questions I get from people a lot is, how can I know God's will for my life? After studying this this past week, my new answer is this. I don't know if you want to know. Quite frankly, I don't know if you want to know. I don't know if you always want to know exactly what you're supposed to do next. Sometimes you just, or exactly what is coming next. What could be happening next? Because for those of you who've been actually following and listening to the Holy Spirit for quite some time, you know that there are those moments when he's leading you and he's not leading you into the life of luxury. He will lead you to the spot where you feel like you're being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Sometimes he will lead you to that spot where you're like, I don't have any strength left, so the only strength I can rely on is him. Some of you, you've been through this so often. You have what, much more life experience than me. I'm 28. Some of you, you've been through this, that when it starts to happen, you go, here we go again. Follow, Holy Spirit, I'm good. We've done this before. It's not, it's not always comfortable. It's not always easy, but I'm following you into the wilderness. Here we go again. And for those of you who've been through this time and time again, and I've had a couple instances like this in my life as well, where the Holy Spirit led me into something. I didn't see it coming. I didn't know. And then I'm in it. I'm like, why am I in this right now? But then when you come through it, you look back on it and you say, if I would have known that that's what I had to go through ahead of time, I would have said no. But now that I've been through it, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Now that I've been through it and I can now see who God is and what he has done and that there was a purpose within that pain, I wouldn't trade it for the world because it was in the wilderness that the spirit led Jesus into this spot where he was tempted by the devil and the devil said to him, hey, look, I can give you this kingdom. And Jesus said, no. And then it was from that spot where Jesus resisted the devil and then he established in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he's establishing his kingdom. He's establishing his way of life. He's establishing that he is the king over all creation. Instead of giving into this limited temporary thing when he was hungry and he was weak and he was tired, he then came through that. He resisted the enemy and he was now prepared to become the king of kings and the king of all things. The Spirit will not take you on the path of least resistance. The Spirit will take you on the path that leads to your highest responsibility. Amen. The Spirit will not take you on the path that always gives you the most comfort. He will take you on the path that opens up your greatest calling. He will take you on the path that you're saying, why am I going through this right now? Why is this happening? But when you get to the other side, you realize, oh, I went through that so that I can go forward into this. So being led by the Spirit, yeah, there are gonna be times where he leads you into seasons of blessing. There are gonna be times when he leads you into seasons of the favor of God is working with you. But it's, it's developing an understanding that the favor of God is not just something that you need in good seasons, but the favor of God is what you rely on in those dark seasons. The spirit is who you rely on because he's the one who brings you into the responsibility. He brings you into the call. And when you've resisted the enemy in that place, you are then ready to continue to follow him to what he has that's next for you. The spirit leads. It just may not always be where you want to go at first, but when you look back, you're going to say, it was worth it. I see what you were doing there, God. That's why Paul writes to Timothy, we have been, not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Allow the spirit to develop that power and love. It, it doesn't always just come. Sometimes it's something that's developed within you. 
the Spirit leads. So as the Spirit led Jesus, we should seek his leading. Let's become people who seek his guidance. Secondly, the Spirit affirms. The Spirit affirms. The Spirit will affirm who you are in Christ. The Spirit will affirm who you are becoming in Christ. And the Spirit will affirm what God has called you to do. I know I, I, I can already hear, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the Spirit affirms, but the Spirit, he, he also convicts. He also convicts. Yes, he does. Jesus talks about that in John 16. We'll get to that in just a moment. But the Spirit affirms as well. The Spirit affirms who you are and what you've been called to do. After Jesus comes out of the wilderness, as Luke records it, he goes into the synagogue and he reads this from the prophet Isaiah, Luke chapter 4. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. It is the spirit who anointed and affirmed Jesus to preach the word. And look at this. He, the Holy Spirit, the spirit has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus said, the Spirit, he anointed me, and the Spirit, he sent me. The Spirit was affirming the work of Jesus. The Spirit is the one who anointed Jesus and sent Jesus. So that means that the Holy Spirit, as he works within our lives, he will affirm by anointing, by setting us apart and sending us to the places that he wants us to be. But like I said, I, 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 know, I know the Spirit affirms, but you know, we don't need this softball preaching you know, where, where the Spirit only says good things because the Spirit convicts. Yes, he does convict. But sometimes I think we really, we really get the lines blurred between conviction and condemnation. Those are two very separate things. Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the two tribes that I talked about earlier, both of them can be guilty at times of using the Spirit as a voice of condemnation instead of a voice of conviction. If you were in this tribe, the first one I talked about, where they, the Holy Spirit wasn't talked about a lot, He was only ever talked about when you felt bad about yourself. He was only ever talked about when you felt like, oh, this is awful. God wants nothing to do with me. God, God saved me not because he wants to, but because he was obligated to, because he has to. And if that's the view you had, there's this sense of condemnation you feel when you hear about the Holy Spirit, so you're confused about your standing with God. You think, I don't really know if I want to talk about it, the Holy Spirit, because whenever he comes up, uh, I just, uh, it just like, it reminds me that, you know, God, God doesn't really like me all that much, you know. Uh, he kind of has to, but it, it brings a sense of condemnation. If you're in the other tribe, you may have found yourself in circles before where it felt as if, man, the Spirit's condemning me because I don't have certain gifts that other people have. And since I don't have those gifts, I feel like I don't have enough faith. So, you know, the Spirit must not, the Spirit must be upset with me. Or the Spirit must want nothing to do with me. And don't get me wrong, I affirm all the gifts. We're going into that next week. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. But this gift should never be used as a form of condemnation to make people feel like, oh, you're just not quite in yet. 
oh, you just don't have enough faith. Oh, you know, that, that's a sense of condemnation that actually distances people and pushes people away and makes them confused about who they are in Christ. It happens over here. It happens over here. here, here here's the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation creates confusion. Conviction creates clarity. Condemnation will make you confused about who you are in Christ and where you stand with him. Condemnation will make you feel like, I don't really know if I can even approach him or I must not have enough faith. I don't really know where I stand with God. So I'm just so confused all the time. It brings instability to your relationship with God. That's what condemnation does. Conviction though brings clarity. In fact, I would go as far as to say this, affirmation and conviction are oftentimes one in the same. If you really look at it with the bigger picture, affirmation and conviction are one and the same. Think of it this way. Let's say, let's say you're in a moment where you're being encouraged in the Lord and the Lord reminds you and affirms in you, you are a child of God. That's a voice of affirmation reminding of you who you are in Christ. You are his child, but can also be a point of conviction because you might be reminded in that moment, oh yes, I am a child of God, but in this area of my life, I've been living as if I am not. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit will affirm in you, you are God's workmanship, you are a new creation. And as he's affirming that in you, he might bring up some conviction of some things that you've been doing. And what he's doing is he's bringing clarity so that you can let go of those things and live in the fullness of the freedom of who he's released you and called you to be. Of affirmation and conviction are one and the same. Conviction brings clarity of where you need to go. Conviction brings clarity of the direction you need to move in. It, sometimes you're like, yeah, oh man, this is ugly. I need to get rid of this. But conviction brings clarity. Condemnation brings confusion. And affirmation and conviction are oftentimes one and the same as it reminds you of who you are, it reminds you of where you need to continue to go as well. That's why Paul would go on to write this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. But we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit, and he's transforming us with unveiled faces. He's setting us free. The Spirit of God and living in the fullness of the Spirit is the place where you are fully free and you are fully found in Christ. You are fully set free and you are found in him. The Spirit leads, the Spirit affirms, and the Spirit empowers. The Spirit empowers. When the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts says that he came with power, that word for power is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. He has this explosive power. He comes in power. And we see the church living in the power of the Spirit all throughout the book of Acts. We see Jesus in his healing and his teaching and his leadership leading and guiding others in the fullness of the power of the Spirit. And one of the ways that we most clearly see the power of the Spirit at work within Christ is in his resurrection why Paul writes this in Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells on you. I want to read that again. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, the spirit that was at work 
within Jesus when he was raised from the dead. The spirit who was at work in Genesis bringing creation into existence. The spirit who's at work within the resurrected Christ. That same spirit who brought life to a dead body, that spirit is at work within you. The spirit that was moving with Jesus when Jesus was walking through walls and ascending in heaven, that spirit is living within you. The spirit that, that's why that one song rattle that we sing sometimes is resurrection power runs in my veins too. There's a resurrection power. It's the spirit of God that's at work within us as the church. So, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The spirit that in power brought back Christ from the dead lives within his church, lives within you. And he is the force that gives us power. He is that of the the God himself living within us, empowering us to become who it is that he has called us to be as his church. So people say, people like to ask this question, and I get it. It's an innocent question. They say, do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Sometimes, do you have the Holy Spirit? And I get it. But you know what? I'm not more powerful than him. So I'm not concerned about if you have the Holy Spirit. What I'm concerned about is, does the Holy Spirit have you? Does the Holy Spirit have you? you But does the Holy Spirit have you? Because if I have him, then it's about me trying to use my power to get him to do something. But if he has me, then it's about his power at work within me, shaping me and setting me apart to become who it is that Christ has called me and wired me and designed me to be. Same is true for you. So the question that I think we need to ask ourselves is, does the Holy Spirit have me? Does the Holy Spirit have you? And as the Holy Spirit has us, we can live in the fullness of the power of the counselor and the comforter and the guide living within us as our advocate who works within us. So this brings us back to the words of Jesus in John 16, verse seven. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, some translations say the advocate. One of our first series that we ever did at New Story Church when we were online in August of 2020, it's called Risky Business because I just love stupid 80s movies, but it was about taking a risk for, for God. And we, we talked about how with the Holy Spirit, we have an advocate. He's our advocate, our helper, and he gives us the advantage to live the victorious life, to live the abundant life. The helper will not come to you, but if I will go, I will send him to you. We have an advocate who gives us the advantage to live the abundant and full life. The very spirit of God lives within you. The Spirit of God lives within his church. He is our counselor. He is our comforter. He is our guide, our advocate, the breath of God, the energy of God, the wind of God, the power of God lives within his church. Let's start living like it, that God himself dwells within us. And as he dwells within us, May we be a church that is led by the Spirit. May we be a church that lives in the fullness of the affirmation of the Spirit. And as we serve and as we love and as we care for others, may we be a church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit.